Your content program, however, should be more like an assembly line, meaning that you can't put parts on a car in random order. Like the chassis has to come first and then the wheels. You can't really do it the other way around. But so often when we are presenting content to B2B prospects, we get that initial action, that initial click, and they go to some sort of content hub and it's just like a Turkish bazaar of content and you, what do you want? And it's like everything in the world, like the Star Wars cantina of content formats and, and, and types. No one's gonna sift through that. This is why content experience and the post-click experience is so critical now. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the B2BMX Podcast. This is the premiere episode of season six. And honestly, I'm over here just scratching my head at, you know, where has the time gone? I can't believe we're on season six of this podcast. So yeah, I mean, thank you all so much for listening. If you are new to the pod, welcome. I'm Claudia Tarico, editor of Demand Gen Report and your host. And if you're new to Demand Gen Report, I don't know. What took you so long to find us? Uh, we're an online publication that covers literally everything the B2B sales and marketing space needs to know to do their jobs better. We are also the host of the B2B Marketing Exchange events, which include the B2B Marketing Exchange in Scottsdale, Arizona, also known as B2BMX, the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange in Boston, Massachusetts, which we call B2B SMX, and the new B2BMX Next Level ABM virtual event, which is coming up this June. And uh, yeah, more on that later. So I feel like we have so much to catch up on. I truly don't know where to begin. Uh, but I guess, you know, first things first, after a really long couple of years behind a screen, the team and I have been just so excited to get back to in-person events, right? So we hosted the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange in Boston in late 2021. It was such an awesome time, a really, really great experience for everyone. We were all missing events for, for such a long time that it was really nice to be back. So yeah, season five, we featured some of those top sessions from B2B SMX. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to check those out, bookmark those. Season five was awesome. But yeah, what's most exciting is that we were finally also able to return to our roots earlier this year with the big comeback to Scottsdale, Arizona for our B2B marketing exchange. And that's the OG event, right? That's why everybody was just so excited to be back. And to be honest, B2BMX was the last event in 2020 that most of our community attended before the world shut down. And now our 2022 event that just happened a few weeks ago was the first event many people in the community attended since things started opening back up. So it was truly a full circle moment. And if you missed it, I really can't blame you for having FOMO. We had like about a thousand B2B practitioners coming out to Scottsdale. The weather was beautiful. There was tons of learning and networking. We really had a great time. But if you couldn't make it out, you're in luck because this season is gonna be packed with replays from some of our top sessions at the event. 
And you're about to get a sneak peek into some of those sessions today. But before I get to some of those clips, I have a surprise for you guys. I have a new co-host joining me on the podcast this season. Kelly Lindenau, DGR's fabulous fabulous managing editor who is also honestly like an angel sent from heaven to to help me uh, do my job better because obviously I cannot raise this baby alone. So here we are. Kelly, welcome to your first ever podcast episode. Talk to me. How are you feeling today? Did you sleep at all last night knowing you were making your big podcast debut? That is a great question. I just had all these clips playing in my head all night. So not really, because I know I have some big shoes to fill over here. That's right. Uh, But listen, we're keeping it super casual today. We've got really, really great clips from B2B MX coming. And obviously, we're going to play all of these full replays throughout the season, right? But this is just a little sneak peek. So Let's get to those episodes, shall we? So a common overarching theme at this year's B2B MX was all about go-to-market strategies and, of course, ABM. It's that gift that keeps on giving and that gift that everyone's still talking about. ABM is such a big deal. I'm sure we will be diving even deeper into the topic of successfully going to market with ABM at our Next Level ABM event, of course, and even B2B SMX later this year. So just to get everybody up to speed, Kelly and I chose some really key audio clips from our Arizona event to really hype you up for the season. So Kelly, what do you think? Are we good to go? I think we're good to go, Claudia. All right, let's do it. First up, we have a clip from Mr. John Miller himself. John is the CMO of Demandbase, former co-founder and CMO of Marketo, and former CEO and founder of Engageo. If you're in B2B, I honestly would bet any money that you already know John Miller. He does not really need much of an introduction. And he was one of our fabulous keynote speakers at B2B MX. He hit the stage to make a case for B2B brands to stop spamming their buyers and develop what he calls an account intelligence strategy that injects relevance to every step of the buying process. And, and listen, when we're talking about spam, and, and John mentions it in his session as well, it's, it's not just unwanted email, right? It's not just that like random email that you're constantly getting from a, a B2C brand or something like that, right? Spam could be any uninformed, irrelevant interaction. Spam is essentially talking at people instead of with them. And John said it. It was actually like part of the the abstract and the description for the session. It doesn't matter how nice or smart your marketers and salespeople are. If they don't have that account intelligence, aka that really good data on the buyer, you will lack relevancy and these buyers will surely ignore your messages. So let's roll this really great tape from, from John Miller. There are signals that we have about what's happening at our accounts, sitting in our CRM system, in our marketing automation, our, our, our exchange servers and our Gmail calendars and so on. So if we can collect all this information together and match it to the account, uh, using what's known as lead to account matching, we are starting to have the first step to account intelligence. You know, the ability to sort of, you know, take all the data that we have and, and make it work. Um, but even if we get the data together, it still needs some work before it's really usable. Because 
on average, probably 25% of the database is messed up. You know, there's duplicate data in there. There are, you know, there's wrong information. I mean, think about it. Like, even if you had the data that was right at one moment in time, it's going to get wrong because people get promoted and they leave jobs and companies grow or shrink or they acquire each other. And so you have to get your data clean and then you also have to keep it maintained over time. So that's the second step in building your account intelligence. Collect your data, clean it, and maintain it. But where account intelligence really comes alive is then when we start to augment our first-party data with reliable and accurate third-party data. And, and, and to be honest, this is the kind of new part. I mean, if you go back to my Marketo days, we had first-party data. We tracked things, and we used segmentation, all that. But there wasn't really a lot of availability of, of high-quality third-party data. You know, the availability of all this kind of stuff today, that's kind of, I think, the revolution that's happening in B2B. So, I mean, everyone's aware that it's an employee's world right now. You know, we have this so-called great resignation that has shown just how quickly jobs and titles change as employees get promoted or they change jobs, and there's just so much turnover. And with such a high turnover rate like this, it's just so important to ensure that your data is up to date and just reinforced by multiple sources like that. Yeah, absolutely. And if we can collect all of this relevant information and match it to an account, like John said, that's that first step, right? It's all about taking all of the data you have and making it work. And this isn't a one and done type scenario. You have to constantly go back, update it, make sure it's clean, refresh it. Like Kelly said, you know, uh, with new people coming in and out of, of the workforce, new people hiring and, and leaving jobs and things like that, you really have to, to make sure it's squeaky clean. And then you have to pair it with that third-party data, right? So having that account intelligence is key to smarter go-to-market strategies. So this brings us to another hot topic covered in, in multiple sessions at B2BMX. And full disclosure, this might be an unpopular opinion, and that's the fact that it's time to move away from focusing on the lead. Everybody gasps. Oh, my goodness. How can, how can you say that, right? You know, obviously, some people even have boldly said that the MQL is dead. I know. Let that, let that sink in a little bit. But honestly, don't panic and hear us out. At B2BMX, we had a few Forrester analysts take the stage to share their insights and predictions into the current state and the future of B2B marketing. And in one of our tracks, Amy Hawthorne shared some research and her point of view on why we should be focusing more on buying groups versus a specific lead. All right. So let's see what she had to say. There's been an explosion of ABM and intent technology that are giving us insights and signals outside of our systems. So how are we leveraging some of those signals? Engaged, they've engaged in our programs. So this might have been the top of that uh, more colorful waterfall before. Prioritized are those that are going to sales or the BDRs, and then qualified and then through pipeline. The big things to take away here are there's no mention of leads. There's no mention of leads. You'll probably hear it multiple times today. I'll say it multiple times. We believe the MQL is dead. Leads don't buy. They are a signal that there could be a buying cycle going on in that organization. So here, we're moving away from the lead and going a step down from the account and looking at those opportunities inside of those accounts. OK, so why is the lead not working? Our research shows that less than 1% of leads make it from the top all the way to the bottom. 
That means as demand marketers, we're getting it wrong 99% of the time. 99% of the time. There's gotta be a better way to do it. Also interesting, there's typically less than one contact, on average, one to less than one attached to an opportunity. So if we aren't actually putting those contacts on an opportunity, we, I see people shaking their head, we get no marketing attribution. We also don't know who those, um, that group or the individuals that are making decisions for each solution. So if we've got 40 people attached at the account level, no one on an opportunity, how do we know who and what solutions to market to and when? So interesting there, not surprising that we have to find a better way and move away from the lead. Okay, I'm gonna say it louder for the people in the back. Leads don't buy, they are a signal. And that's literally what Amy just said, but I'm just gonna repeat it again and again. Because honestly, Kelly and I are the perfect example of that. We're editors and reporters, right? We're constantly doing research for our stories. So we often go on, let's say, a vendor's website to download a piece of their content, right? We'll fill out that form. And then all of a sudden, we're getting sales pitches and we're getting emails from companies because they saw that we filled out that form and they saw they're like, oh, that must be a really good lead. But we're not. You know, we're just doing some research to do our own jobs better, right? So definitely take Amy's advice here and think about how to do it better and move away from the lead. But if you still don't want to take our word for it, here's another clip from Jen Lever of Bizarre Voice. She is an award-winning ABM marketer, and she, at her session, emphasized the move away from MQLs and, and even brought in that bigger focus of account intelligence that, that John Miller discussed as well. So let's roll that tape. When you're looking at account-based marketing or account-based experiences, it's about delivering quality over quantity, right? Um, and MQA, in my mind, signifies a, 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 a level of sales readiness, right? So these accounts are further down the funnel. They're that much closer to, to wanting to actually make a decision to um, partner with this provider or that provider, or they're wanting to talk to my sales team, right? So um, I want to make sure that I'm serving up accounts that are sales ready and not still living under a rock, kind of doing that initial discovery. How do you build this out? A lot of us probably already have an MQL, MQL model in place, right? So um, use that as your baseline. Look at what you already have built out. Do you need to layer in some additional things like um, uh, we need to make sure that we're reaching a, a certain number of contacts within a target account in order for it to be sales ready? Do they need to reach a certain level of engagement? Do we need to have enough website visits? Like what, is, what are all of those metrics that, need to, to, um, that we need to factor in? Um, let's look at intent. Can we look and see if they're spiking on intent, if that's an indicator that they're ready to have that sales conversation, right? So using that, that MQL model that you've already created and then layering in some additional metrics and filters to, to kind of create a, a more like tight um, uh, lens of like uh, the, the accounts that you're uh, serving up to your sales team. But MQLs still matter, right? So you're still gonna have people come to your website and fill out a contact form or a demo request form, so you don't wanna necessarily ignore those leads, but what you could do is use account intelligence to further qualify those MQLs to serve them up to sales to help them prioritize. All right, I love Jen's advice on how to deliver quality over quantity. It's that idea of using that MQL as your baseline and then, you know, starting from there. So it, it, it's a really great 
piece of advice that I really hope that you guys will, will take with you. And, you know, surprise, surprise, MQLs still matter, right? I know we said, you know, maybe they're dead, but it's a little contradictive to what Amy said, but it's really about finding that right balance, right? So how do we find that right balance? We have to work as a team, people. The key here is alignment. I know everyone preaches it, but it's honestly worth repeating because I feel like not many people are getting it right just yet. ABM is a team effort, and, and that is what experts from Sugar CRM made sure to emphasize during their session with our friends at Triblio. So uh, let's hear what they had to say. Yeah, I think another thing that we learned uh, was that there's not a real clear handoff. Um, so it, with inbound, you know, every step in the process is is documented and can be tracked. And, you know, it's very clear, uh, you know, as something moves from marketing to BDR to sales. Um, and it's a lot more murky um, with ABM. There's a ton of overlap. And so, you know, I think with with you know, the ad messaging, obviously we can vary that based on the stages, um, but marketing stays in front of the accounts um, while the the sales team and the BDRs are reaching out. Um, and so everything's happening at the same time, um, which I think goes back to uh, Gia's point about, you know, Pipeline is owned by everybody um, and, you know, ABM truly is a team effort. And so I think because, you know, we were um, very deliberate about the training and, and the launch of the ABM program, everybody knew what they were supposed to do, um, you know, as accounts were surging. And so, you know, uh, while there weren't any clear handoffs, we were all rowing in the same direction. Um, and I guess speaking of that, it was, you know, everybody was speaking the same language and everybody was sharing information in real time. Um, and when I say everybody, I mean, across marketing, you know, we, we've rolled this program out globally. And so a global rollout, um, it, it's hard to keep everything the same because there are so many regional differential, like so many things that are different across regions. And so what I needed was ensuring that the regional teams were giving me feedback on, you know, what may be working or what wasn't working in their region and how data varied. Um, and so with that ongoing communication, we were able to like really quickly adapt our program um, to make sure it, it continued to make sense within regions. Um, and then beyond that, it was a matter of, you know, speaking with sales, you know, and, and every time that they had feedback for us, it was about like being quick on responding to that feedback um, because we wanted to make sure they understood that like we valued it. Um, so it was a matter of just like ensuring that, you know, if a sales cadence is working or a specific message is working, it's shared not only with, you know, the person that would typically sit next to someone, but like with somebody all the way in Australia and, and EMEA, you know? So it was just a matter of like ensuring everyone's talking to each other and speaking the same, like, same language and, I think this only happens when we're all looking at the same data sets within our CRM and like, you know, we're all able to access the information in the same place. So we, we can talk about, you know, which which AE may be performing the best really easily. I mean, alignment is one of the ABM topics that we hear about all the time, and it's still something marketers are struggling with. You know, even our own demand gen report research has found that year over year, sales and marketing alignment continues to be one of marketers top challenges. 
And one of the best first steps to achieving that is making sure everyone's on the same page and working off of the same information. And it's, you know, that consistency that's going to make the difference in winning accounts. And, you know, a major aspect of promoting that alignment is by building trust with sales and marketing, which is something that Juliet Randall from Salesforce took the B2BMX stage to discuss. She dove into trust's role in account intelligence and developing more relevant outreach. So let's see what she had to say. It is around being vulnerable. And I have actually uh, just had an experience with someone on my team over the last uh, month who had something that didn't go exactly the way that she had expected. And she took the time to coach a few more junior people on the team and share her experience. And she wasn't worried about um, being embarrassed about the fact that it didn't go as planned. She was more focused on, hey, what did I learn? How am I gonna do this next time? And how am I gonna share this with a few colleagues on the team so that they can learn vicariously through me and also just learn that it's okay. Right, because I think, especially as we're, we are hiring a lot of really amazing ABMers into our, our organizations, and we certainly have at Salesforce, we've hired a number of uh, marketers just in the last year. Um, you know, a lot of them are, it, it's, they're, they're, they have experience as marketers. A couple of them um, are started as an intern or, or shortly out of college, and they're learning right? And they're hungry to learn and they're bringing enthusiasm and, and certainly being very digitally savvy. And we want to encourage them um, to be vulnerable. And that's really something that unifies uh, a team. It's bringing your voice, right? And I think uh, especially when we have the kind of intelligence and account intelligence that we have today, right? We know what those buyer uh, intent signals are. Um, we know the percent of, uh, I think I heard the latest 70% of the research that's being done by our customers prior to potentially speaking with a salesperson. So we have customers that are really sophisticated and we as marketers have an incredible amount of information. And so really bringing that to the table with sales and doing your homework one of the things um, that we're doing, so we just kicked off um, our fiscal year, and uh, we have just, uh, we're in the process of socializing the accounts that we're selecting for the year with our sales leadership. And one of the first things that we're gonna do prior to going to those kickoff meetings, or maybe in tandem, depending upon how quickly they happen, is we're gonna equip our team and our marketers with account intelligence that really help them understand holistically you know, where that customer is in their maturation um, cycle, what are the key insights, who you know, is on that buying committee, what are the personas, and you know, primarily, what's the problem that they're trying to solve? And then bringing that account, account intelligence um, to the table as a marketer, using your voice, you know, despite the fact that the sales executives that may be in the room know a lot about that customer. They may have uh, been working with that customer for years, but never underestimate the value of what you as marketers have and what you're gonna bring to the table um, to really round out that conversation. That's gonna just continue to um, engage the sales team. You're gonna impress them. You're gonna build trust with that sales team. And that's really what's gonna continue to um, you know, increase your engagement uh, as part of the process. I just, I really love that initial clip talking about trust and learning from your mistakes. Because I feel like in general, everyone's just so concerned about admitting their faults in a business environment because they don't wanna be perceived as not doing their job. When in reality, everyone makes mistakes. And I just feel like it's so okay to acknowledge that. And when one person is open about their shortcomings, it makes everyone else feel more comfortable to discuss their own hiccups, so to speak. You know, I probably run into Claudia's office once a week like, oh, I did this, help me. And it's just made us stronger as a team for it. And then that just 
fosters a great environment of learning and growth, which I think everyone benefits from. Um, but, you know, of course, beyond humility, it's just so prevalent to acknowledge buying groups and figuring out how to appeal to everyone behind an account. And that's where alignment comes back into play, because all team members and systems must be working in sync to achieve those desired outcomes. Yeah, Kelly, I mean, you're absolutely right. I cannot agree more. And just let's also show some appreciation for Juliet Randall. Um, she was able to tie this whole presentation together around one of my favorite shows, Ted Lasso. So I just love this session so much. It was really, really great. So I can't wait for the audience to, to hear the entire thing later this season. I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I'd be remiss if I didn't give content a chance to shine in today's episode. Content and relevant messaging obviously is still king. And of course, you, you need the data, that alignment to cater the right messages and all that fun stuff. So now it's time to deliver those messages and serve up that content to buyers when they need it most, right? So, of course, there is no better person to school us on content than the infamous Jay Bear of Convince and Convert. The man just gets it, you know, and, and if you missed my exclusive pre-event interview with him on the podcast, I'm going to throw that link into the show notes. Please check out that episode. Jay is such a wealth of B2B knowledge, and he knows a thing or two about tequila, which we also cover in that episode. So go check that out. But anyway, Jay was another keynote speaker at B2BMX, and his session was titled The Three Drawbridges, How to Cross the Moat of B2B Buyers' Attention. And he shared some awesome examples of how to keep your content relevant for each stage of the buyer's journey to really get that buyer to cross that moat, right? So let's roll it. It's true that different people prefer content in different formats. It's been the case for a long time, and those Modality preferences vary by demographic. New York Times did a survey last year of college students. This is an actual quote from a college student. Every time I get an email, it's like getting stabbed. Another thing for me to do. I have a college student at home and a recent college graduate also at home, and I can confirm that this is the case. My son is 20 years old and has more than 4,000 unread emails. I asked him the other day, I said, hey, Ethan, what are all these emails? He's like, I don't know, I don't check it. And I'm like, evidently. <laughs> Many of us, of course, uh, rely significantly on email as a primary mode of communication with customers and prospects. I will suggest to you that perhaps that will not be the case uh, at some point in the future, because this particular cohort ain't having it. We're going to have to come up with a different communication methodology. Modality preferences also vary by funnel stage. Many of you know this or have software to help you figure this out, that depending on where people are, you give them different types of content. Early stage content preferences, often uh, more lightweight, snackable content executions like listicles and infographics, blog posts, uh, short explainer videos, with or without snakes, etc. When we get into the later stage, closer to a purchase, more sales enablement efforts here in some cases, case studies, customer reviews, analyst reports, ROI calculators, things that are a little bit more specific to use case and tied more closely to actual total cost of ownership. 
Your content program, however, should be more like an assembly line, meaning that you can't put parts on a car in random order. Like, the chassis has to come first, and then the wheels. Like you can't really do it the other way around. But so often, when we are presenting content to B2B prospects, we get that initial action, that initial click, and they go to some sort of content hub, and it's just like a, it's like a farmer's market. It's like a Turkish bazaar of content, and you, what do you want? And it's like everything in the world, like the Star Wars cantina of content formats and, and, and types. No one's going to sift through that. This is why content experience and the post-click experience is so critical now. We think we're doing them a favor by putting them into an experience where they've got access to everything, but nobody wants everything. They want you to tell them what the next best piece of content is. You know, it's just so prevalent to serve up relevant content because research has found that, you know, more than half of buyers are relying on more content to make their purchasing decisions than they did a year ago. And in the early to mid stages of their buying journeys, especially, that's when they're engaging with the most content. And it should almost serve as a waterfall type effect of relevance where, you know, the most popular contents were in the earlier stages were those that were very general, like infographics and blogs, while mid-stage preferences included webinars and case studies, and then late-stage tied things up with ROI calculators and user reviews. And so you just have to be so careful about what content you're serving up to make sure it's really what each account wants throughout their journey and at each stage of their funnel. And you know, a major part of creating that relevance is speaking your customer's language and understanding their problems which is something that Google Cloud and ServiceNow touched upon at uh, B2BMX. So let's roll that clip. More than industry-based messaging is we need to talk about imperative-based messaging. Um, and this was kind of a first for me, so I'm not going to try and explain this. I'm going to ask Carrie to. But the one thing that I loved Carrie said, which I'll, I'll kind of tee it up, is um, when I asked her, hey, I've never heard that before, like what is imperative-based messaging? The way. Carrie explained it was, if you think about what those accounts, or even that account, needs to get done in the next 12 to 18 months, what is it that we at ServiceNow or we at Google Cloud can do to help them get there? And that has very little to do with their industry, right? That has everything to do with the initiatives that those companies or that company are partaking in. So Carrie, if you could expand a little bit more on like what is imperative-based messaging and why is this not just a new flavor of verticalizing our messaging? It's really important because, um, to me, this is what helps distinguish um, and uh, dispel some of the confusion around ABM. People think that if you put a logo on a piece and send it to that account, that's account-based messaging. Well, if it's still all about your product and solution, then it's not, in, in my opinion. In my opinion. Um, so when you get to the imperative-based messaging, you can do this in a one-to-many, one-to-few, or one-to-one model. At the end of the day, you're telling um, that account, you're speaking to that account in their words. You're, you're saying, I understand what you need to get done. Here's how, you're gonna, here's how I can help you do that. And it's not just about, here's a product, here's a solution, here's um, the messaging they've heard over and over again and that they can very easily find on your website. The message that we're delivering to them is tailored and specific to them. Um, so we really have to take a look at, we go through the workshops, we do the research, we talk to industry experts, we talk to the account teams. It takes months to develop this messaging that we're going to put in front of the customers because it's so specific to these accounts or this set of accounts. Um, one of the reasons we've tried to really refine this as well is that we were having confusion with industry marketing because you can often cluster accounts around an industry and then say, 
okay, great, well, guess what? We have SKUs for manufacturing. We have SKUs for technology. That's great, you have SKUs and you have products, but how does it help them? What are you doing for them? Have you checked out the priorities on their website? Can you map how your products and solutions are gonna help them with those priorities to achieve what they need to get done? So at the end of the day, we said, we know their imperatives, we know their initiatives, we know the people who um, are in charge of the programs and in the places to make those changes, and then that's who we target with the imperative-based messaging. That was one of my favorite sessions from B2BMX. Uh, Desiree and Carrie were a wealth of ABM knowledge, and it's always fun to hear how big companies, I mean, these are big brands, right? Google Cloud, ServiceNow. I love to, I always love to just hear how, you know, these big companies are tackling their ABM plays. And I mean, yeah, let's let's keep hearing from them. I know we could talk ABM all day and walk everyone through it, but uh, let's throw it back to Google Cloud and ServiceNow for a little case study action. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, we've been dealing um, trying to reach out to the Department of Defense and we segmented it um, you know by the individual um, military branches. So one of them is Army, Air Force, right? We have separate landing pages for each of those and then can even have a personalized experience based on the command um, or the part of the Army or command the military branch that you're trying to work with. As I said, we create a lot of the content. The Sapper um, document was not specific to any one um, part of the military, but it just spoke about it in general, right? So here's this piece of content. We put it out in different places, um, but on the follows boards, right? On these landing pages, so different people are coming to see it. Well, it just so happens, and then we did the email outreach about it, right? And then um, we did, however, did not do digital around this particular topic, just because it can be sensitive. But um, during that outreach, right, someone heard about it, goes to the website and views it. Well, it just so happens it was a, a key person, an undersecretary in the military, which is a very high level position. Um, next thing you know, a week later, someone on government relations teams who didn't even know that that was happening because the way that it worked, we didn't know that that person who came to view it to the landing page wasn't as high ranking as they are. But our government relations team was trying to develop a relationship with this person. Happened to call them a week after they viewed the white paper. And so again, these are all different motions, right? And I'm working with a, with a solution team to create the content. We're posting it on follows. All of a sudden, government relations team contacts the person. And the next thing you know, um, we are able to set up a meeting because for the past 12 months, and again, this didn't happen overnight, we had been warming up that account. We've been sending a lot of different um, banner ads and other things to um, Army, Air Force, Navy, and driving to these pages. So everyone in the account was now familiar with ServiceNow or starting to hear about it to the point that when you, make, when you make that call in, when someone who knows the people at that high level makes that call in, they can be like, yeah, I was just, I was just reading about something the other day, or I just, I just heard about you, or I was just checking this out. Because as we say, right, 70% of this buying process or this education process happens before a salesperson ever reaches them. So this was a great way to say that that was a warm lead. Now, am I going to get credit for that in my metric system? That's a whole other conversation, right? But, but I know, I know what a great job I did. No, I'm not going to. But I know it works. We all know that marketing works. Surprise, surprise. I mean, does it get much more relevant than that, Claudia? No, it absolutely doesn't. And that was an awesome example. Uh, all right, man. I got to like <clears throat> clear my throat because we're coming down to the wire here. I've got one more clip for you guys before we shut it down for the week. So let's get a glimpse into the future, shall we? 
So we've been spotlighting sessions throughout this this episode that really homed in on uh, go-to-market strategies and and finding go-to-market success with ABM, right? So we covered leads are sort of dead, content is king, alignment and teamwork is critical. You know, so so what's next? Are we are we canceling demand gen altogether and going all in on ABM? Let's let's stop right there and relax a little bit, because according to Forrester, the future will be all about a mix of both. And we've been hearing that a lot lately. It has been discussed, you know, that blend of demand gen and ABM. And yeah, Forrester really just solidified it. The convergence of demand gen and ABM is real. And Bob Peterson of Forrester will back me up on this. So let's roll that clip. We see demand marketers are getting much, much more uh, ability to deliver precision. They're getting more uh, skills, better at account selection and prioritization, better at gathering insights, better at leveraging tools that were once the purview of account-based marketers. Likewise, and concurrently, we'll see account-based marketers getting pressure from, well, their leadership and their sales team saying, I get this ABM thing, but why can't you do it to more accounts? Which is a great problem to have, I think. But the, that's why we think these two forces are going to converge. I sometimes say collide, but I guess that sounds negative. But they are definitely coming together, and we think that's really what the future is all about. And there is your mic drop moment right there. The future is all about convergence. And like I said, I'm, I'm dropping that mic. That's it. We're done. All right, folks, I'm going to wrap things up. It's, uh, it's been a whirlwind of an episode, and I'm really excited to be, to be back with Kelly this season. We have an awesome, awesome season ready for you. So since we covered so much today, let's pause for the week. Let's soak it all in. And yeah, you'll hear from me next week again, and hopefully Kelly will be back. We'll see how she feels about that. So thank you all so much for checking out our season six premiere. I hope this episode got you really excited for what's to come. And yeah, we will definitely be replaying all of these sessions in full, plus so, so much more. I've got unique interviews lined up and we're gonna start segueing into our next events. So we have Next Level ABM in June. We have the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange in August. Plenty of content and insights to go around. And uh, yeah, that's it. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me this season. I'm, I'm so excited for our future conversations. That's if you decide to come back. So I'll, I'll how, think how about do you feel? it. I'll think about it. All right, cool. We'll think about <laughs> it. All right, everyone, be sure to subscribe to the pod on your podcast player of choice so you don't miss any new episode drops. And of course, catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn to share feedback and let us know who else you want to hear from on this podcast. And let me know what you thought of Kelly. I'd love to I'd love to get your feedback on that. So, yeah, that's a wrap again, folks. Thank you so much. Take care and I will catch you next week.